Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining us here at B'nai My name is Ephraim Judah, and we thank you for inviting us into your home each and every week with this broadcast where you join together with a great number of people across the Internet to join in the worship of the Lord, the setting apart of the Sabbath, and the hearing of the Torah portion, the teaching of the Word of the Lord. Uh, right now, it's July 19th, and uh, we here at the ministry, we just got done with another amazing week of Camp Yeshua, where there's many, uh, many young Messianic believers had an amazing time and an amazing experience at camp this year. Uh, many of them are still traveling home at this time, so we'll lift them up in prayer that everyone can arrive home safely. And we, of course, pray that all the youth are arriving home, maybe a little different than they did when they showed up in the first place, and that uh, the Lord poured out his spirit upon them. Uh, we are continuing now that we've done, we're done with another big event this year. Uh, we're continuing to look forward to the Feast of Tabernacles, our next big event. Uh, registration is still open for that at tabernaclesevent.com. You can register your family there, and we hope that you join us for that appointed time. Uh, once again, thank you for joining us here at benishalom.tv. Um, now let us set apart this Sabbath with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining us here at B'nai My name is Ephraim Judah, and we thank you for inviting us into your home each and every week with this broadcast where you join together with a great number of people across the Internet to join in the worship of the Lord, the setting apart of the Sabbath, and the hearing of the Torah portion, the teaching of the Word of the Lord. Uh, right now, it's July 19th, and uh, we here at the ministry, we just got done with another amazing week of Camp Yeshua, where there's many, uh, many young Messianic believers had an amazing time and an amazing experience at camp this year. Uh, many of them are still traveling home at this time, so we'll lift them up in prayer that everyone can arrive home safely. And we, of course, pray that all the youth are arriving home, maybe a little different than they did when they showed up in the first place, and that uh, the Lord poured out his spirit upon them. Uh, we are continuing now that we've done, we're done with another big event this year. Uh, we're continuing to look forward to the Feast of Tabernacles, our next big event. Uh, registration is still open for that at tabernaclesevent.com. You can register your family there, and we hope that you join us for that appointed time. Uh, once again, thank you for joining us here at benishalom.tv. Um, now let us set apart this Sabbath with the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom. We're the Judah family and welcome to our home. Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath. 
Ready? King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments and has commanded us to be a light unto the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing Amen. over the cup. Baruch Eloheinu melech haolam Borei Blessed art thou, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Now the Hamotzi, blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. <laughs> Husbands, let's bless our wives. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our wonderful wives that you've given to us, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for beautiful wives of Proverbs. Thank you, Lord, for my wife and the blessing that she is to our home and to our family. Bless her, encourage her, and strengthen her as she teaches and educates the children, as she wakes up in the morning to take care of them and see about the ways of the household. Father, I thank you for the wonderful blessing she is to me and to our home. I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her and pour out your very best blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. So we love you and bless you and thank you for all of these things, Lord. In Yeshua's name, amen. amen. Now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. <laughs> now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et Arunai Hamvorach. Baruch Arunai Hamvorach Leolaham Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Micha mocha, ba'elim Adonai. Micha mocha, 
Shahar Bachodesh, no Ratechilot, O Sefele, O Sefele, who is like you? Among the gods, who is like you, Lord? There is none else. You are awesome in praise, doing wonders, O Lord. Who is like you? Amen. And now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech ha'olam, asher natan lanu et derech ha'yeshua b'mashiach Yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et ha-shabbat, la'asot et ha-shabbat l'adrotam barit olam, b'nei avayom b'nei Yisrael ot'hit le'olam, k'sheshet yamim asadonai et ha-shamayim v'et ha-aret v'yom ha-shavi shabbat v'inafash. Altogether, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you would all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed, Yeshua HaMashiach, Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be his name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'chol nashicha, uv'chol meodecha, v'heyu ha'devarim ha'ale asher nechim e'zavcha ha'yom alevavcha, v'shinantam l'avanecha, V'tepardabam b'shiftecha, b'yetecha, uv'lechtecha, v'derech u'shakbika, uv'kumika. U'kershatam la'ota yadecha, v'heyu la'totafot b'inenecha, u'chetatam ha'mozuzot b'techa, uv'sharecha. All together. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
most holy Elohim who was and is and is to come. Blessed be your name whose kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, he is Lord. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Numbers to chapter 22, where our Torah portion will begin for this week. As you open the scripture, I will do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch atadunai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher b'chabanu mekol ha'amim, venetan lanu etorato, baruch atadunai nonten ha'torah ha'amein. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion this week uh, begins in Numbers 22, and we take a break from any sort of an, uh, instruction or, or uh, retelling of what actually is happening to the children of Israel. We are going to be introduced to a man, two men, one by the name of Balak, who is uh, a king of Moab, and we also are going to be introduced to a man by the name of Balaam, who is was called a prophet of God, but a prophet uh, that is in the area. And we're going to have a whole story here in our Torah cycle about these two men. Not necessarily about the children of Israel, but it has to do with Balak. And as the children of Israel are coming into his kingdom and as they're traveling in the wilderness, getting ready to make their way to the promised land, we do believe that this is toward the end of the 40 years of the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. And verse 1 of 22 says, they moved and they camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. So they are very close to the end of their journey in the wilderness. They're getting ready to cross over the Jordan. They're going to go into the promised land. But we know, of course, that uh, the older generation that came out of Egypt, that because they rejected the promised land through the story of the sending of the uh, spies into the, into the promised land, that that whole generation is going to die off. They're going to die in the wilderness, and it is the younger generation that is going to cross over the Jordan and enter into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. But here, before that takes place, there's still some things to learn while we're on this wilderness experience. Now, as the children of Israel, of course, came into the plains of Moab, the whole idea of the other peoples that lived in the land, what did they think as the children of Israel left Egypt and they're wandering through different plains and, and lands? And, and what did they see? How were they observed by the other people, by the other nations that dwelt in the same area. From at the end of last week's Torah portion, the kingdom of Israel, the Israelites, they conquered two other kingdoms. 
They conquered the king of Sihon, and they had conquered Og, the king of Bashan, and they wiped these two kingdoms out. And they settled here in the, in the plains where these kingdoms were at one point in time. And we'll find out later in the story of in, in Deuteronomy that these kings were these kings were great. That king, the uh, Og, the king of Bashan, it's described that this man was a giant. This man, his bed was was approximately, I believe it was, uh, you know, nine feet long, or it was this big giant bed made of iron is that that he dwelt in, and it's believed that he was a giant. He was a giant among the land, among the kingdoms. And Israel shows up, they're traveling, wandering through after leaving Egypt, and then they go and they wipe them out. Okay, so what does all the neighbors of Og and Sihon, what do they think of all of this? Well, they might be fearful. They might be dismayed. Who is this group of people that has come out of Egypt? And all these things, it's all like, and it's been said, this is a people that, that, that the Most High God, these are his people. They're being led by a God. They have a God on their side. I mean, they already, I mean, they left Egypt. Egypt was the world power at the time. How in the world did they pull that off? And so everybody is observing this company of people traveling in the wilderness. There were nomads and there were traveling caravans. And so word would have gotten out. You can't just be moving two million people you know, through the wilderness and that nobody, nobody takes notice. No, the, the, the people took notice. And so here we have that perspective here in our Torah portion. We, we were introduced by this man named Balak. Let me go ahead and read here the first uh, first half of uh, chapter 22. Let's go through this entire story of what Balak does, how he sends these messengers to Balaam, and let's uh, then we'll go and we'll analyze and we'll look at some of the motivations of some of these men that we are introduced to. Verse two. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that the Lord that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab sent elders of Midian. Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at the time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at uh, Pethor which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. Let me go ahead and stop there. Here we have this king, Balak. He sees the company of Israel and his people are afraid. He, they just wiped out some of their neighbors and, and they said the reaction is that they are afraid for what the children of Israel are capable of doing. Balak, if you look at the meaning of his name, the meaning of his name means devastator or one that wastes away. He, he, was, he was believed by the meaning of his name to be a very strong king who could devastate and destroy and wipe out any other kingdom. That was, that's the meaning of his name. So he's trying to be a strong leader for his people. But you have, here come the children of Israel. And he feels, how, how am I going to take care of this company of people? How can I fight against him, the, the, this company? Uh, they just defeated my neighbor that, who happened to be a giant. Um, 
how, how do I fight them? There's a God among them. It's like, I, I, I cannot go to war against these people. But he comes up with an idea. He's going to go and hire somebody who is a prophet of God, who is, who, who is a diviner, who, has, who, who travels around. He's kind of like a, a traveling uh, soothsayer. And, he, and this man named Balaam, he apparently was well-known enough that messengers were sent to him. And they say, hey, you... Uh, you know, your job is to to do divine things and speak to God and 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 perform miracles and do these things. You, I will call you. You come. You curse these people, so that then I will then be able to defeat them. Now, Balak, to his credit, he understands something very specific about this situation. To his credit, he recognizes this is a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. This is not about numbers of people, sheer numbers of, of, of men going to war, and, and one might be more than another. And so, you know, if you're just looking at it physically, if there's more in the, the kingdom of Israel that is able to go to war than can go, than, than Balak can, can round up, then you sit here and you're like, all right, well, we're going to lose this battle. Physically, we can't do it. But Balak, to his credit, recognizes there's a spiritual thing working here. There's a God among these people. If I can get rid of that God, and if I can invoke the power of my gods, and if I can prove that my God or gods are bigger than that God, then I can defeat them even if their numbers are greater. Balak, he, he understands this. He sees the, the spiritual side of all of these things. This is where the enemies of Israel become more cunning. This is where the enemies of God they they tend to um, they learn as they go. They become more more cunning and more able to do more harm. To where you know even Israel's got to kind of stay on their toes. They might have a God in their presence, a God in their midst. They might have been 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 blessed in the things that they do. That they are God's chosen people. But that doesn't mean that you can let your guard down. In fact, that's exactly what the children of Israel are told to do when they're instructed by God to obey the Lord, to be holy as they are, as he is holy. If you defile yourself, then you separate yourself from the presence of God. Suddenly, you don't have a God on your side. It should you need to go to war. This is the nature of what the children of Israel, they've got to, they've got to be on their guard because the enemies of Israel, they're getting a little bit smarter about this. They're getting a little smarter in how to come up against Israel. Now, the other thing that I, that I, it's so sad to me that it's all like, here's this kingdom, the, the, the king of, of Moab, Balak here. It's all like, did he ever think that it's like, hey, let me just go send messengers and see if they're actually looking, if they've got more, uh, you know, blood that, that they want to spill. And it's all like, or, or so why don't I send messengers and just see if they're going to pass through my land? How about I keep my kingdom nice and safe and let's not go to war against uh, another group of people? How about, how does that sound? Well, the reason why I believe he didn't do that, I believe it goes back to the meaning of his name. He was expecting to be some powerful conquering king. So he felt there was some sort of destiny he had to live up to is the reason why he didn't do that. Of course, my, my heart goes out, even though these, these, this whole kingdom probably worshiped pagan gods, that didn't mean they had to die. It didn't mean that, there had to go, that they had to go to war. Send messengers, be at peace, uh, uh, find out what their motivations are. The children of Israel had no intention of staying in Moab. They're on their way to Canaan. So why in the world would, would Balak have to have a problem with that? So that's uh, an unfortunate example of this circumstance. But needless to say, 
what Balak does is he thinks he's going to come up with this strategy. He's going to send messengers to this man named Balaam. Now, Balaam, is, most of our Torah portion is actually about Balaam, even though the title is about Balak, or is, is called Balak. Most of the story is about this man, this man who is called, you know, a, a prophet of God here. Well, as you go and as we go through this story, you're going to see this interesting transformation of, of Balaam. What are his motivations? What he does? There's going to be times in which he's going to be hired by Balak to curse the children of Israel. And Balaam is going to have conversations with the almighty creator of heaven and earth on to whether he can do this, can't do this. What is, what is he able to actually do? And he's going to be talking to the most high God. At first blush, you might read this and, and see that it's all like, wow, this man named Balaam, maybe he, he sort of transforms from being this sort of entertainer of all different manners of, of gods and, and, and divine things. And he actually, he does follow and listen to and speak to and at times obey the creator of heaven and earth, the God of Israel. So you might think at first blush that it's all like, oh, th this is a man that, that will that will go through some sort of journey. Unfortunately, that's not the case. We'll find later on in Scripture, and as we go into next week's portion, we'll learn exactly that this man was not a good man. That he truly was, he had other motivations than to follow and obey the God of Israel. Even though we can see through his example times in which he does entreat and obey the God of Israel. The thing we like to say about Balaam is that he was a prophet for prophet. He was a man who clearly, through the course of what's going on here, he's motivated by money. He's motivated by power. At the same time, he's kind of a, he's kind of a salesman. He's got some charisma to him. And he has this opportunity to speak to God. And he uses all of these things to his advantage. Let me uh, let me continue on in our story, and we'll see how this first interaction with Balaam and the messengers that come from Balak. We'll see how this goes. So, so the messengers come and they say, "Hey, you know, people are blessed if you bless them, and they're cursed if you curse them. So why don't you come and help us out?" Verse seven says this. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. They have the money to pay the guy to do what they're asking him to do, and they come to Balaam. And they spoke to him all the words of Balak, and they said to him, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. They told Balaam, Hey, we want you to come. We want you to curse this group of people. We want you, here's, our, here's the money. This is what we want to do. We want to hire you for this job. Balaam's like, All right, let's, uh, well, he starts, he's hospitable. He's like, Here, lodge with me for the night. I'll go before the Lord. I'll go do my thing with, with being the, the diviner that I am. And I'll come back with you and I'll let you know what the Lord says about all of these things. So then God speaks to Balaam here in chapter, in verse 9. It says, Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? As if the creator of heaven and earth doesn't know who these men are. However, God of Israel, he's in the business of putting his people to the test. He's in the business of making sure that they people, somebody will obey him when the Lord speaks, are his people going to obey? And at this point, Balaam, he's got a chance to be somebody who obeys the Lord. And so God is actually speaking to this man. And so, so with this being an example, this is a great example for us to learn 
got this one man named Balaam, the Lord speaking to him. How does he react and what can we learn from his particular actions? So God asked him, who are these men? So Balaam says to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent them to me saying, look, a people has come out of Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come now and curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. God says to Balaam, he says, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. There you go. God just said it. You're not going to go with them and you cannot curse them. Can't be done. So Balaam rose in the morning and he says to the princes of Balak, he says, go back to your land for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went back to Balak, and they said, Balaam refuses to come with us. All right, let's take a time out here. Who here has, can see Balaam's mistake in how he just now spoke to these princes and sent them on their way? Can you spot the difference? The Lord said to him, he shall not go with them. Is that what the Lord said? Yeah, the Lord said that. Is that all the Lord said to him? No. He kind of cut the part out where he says that he is not allowed, as the Lord spoke, to curse them. He said, don't go with them, and you can't curse them. He only told them he couldn't go with them. First mistake of Balaam right there. He did not recount what the Lord had said to him. If he's a prophet, a prophet is one who speaks the word of the Lord, who hears from what the Lord says, and then delivers it and gives it to an audience who needs to hear what the word of the Lord is. A prophet can get himself in a whole lot of hot water... If a couple of things happen, one, if he tells the wrong, the tells the word of the Lord to the wrong group of people that can get a prophet in a whole lot of trouble. You might say, hey, I got a word for this group of people, but then you're going to go tell all your friends. You're going to rub elbows. I'm going to go tell this people what for. I'm going to go do this. And you're not doing what the Lord told you to do. Go and tell that word to that people. You're deviating from the plan. The bigger one that one can make the mistake of is this. The Lord gives a word to you, and you don't give exactly that word. Suddenly, you start to put your own spin on it. And so the Lord told him to tell the, the messengers two things. I can't curse them, and I can't go with you. And he only told them one. This is how prophets get themselves in a whole lot of trouble. This is the kind of thing that will make a prophet no longer be a prophet of God. If you don't do the job that you're supposed to do. We see this example through all kinds of prophets in the story, such as Jonah, who didn't want to go and minister to Nineveh. And we see what happened to him. We can see the example. If you are a prophet, you have to hear the word of the Lord. You have to go give what the Lord has said to you and give that word. So the princes, they come back to Balak and they said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Verse 15, then Balak sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Sippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come and curse this people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me a house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, therefore... Please you also say here for the night and that I may know more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. The Lord already gave his word to Balaam. You're not going to curse these people and you shouldn't go with them. Now, another group of people come. 
Then God says to Balaam, you can go with them if you want, but understand something. You're only going to do what I call you to do. You can see Balaam's motivation being being played out here. More honorable men come and get to stay at Balaam's house. Balaam's going to entreat them. He's going to bring them in. And he's going to he's going to be paid more handsomely. And you can see the words of a salesman here. It's all like, though, Balak were to give me a house full of silver and gold. Wink, wink. Maybe he might actually give me something like that. And then maybe, maybe something a little more than that. He could give me this and I still couldn't do it. Well, what if he gave you two houses full of silver and gold? Well, maybe I'll go back to the Lord and I'll ask about that one as well. You can see Balaam's motivation. You can see what's going on here. And Balaam is having this opportunity as God is putting these opportunities in front of him for him to do the right thing. He still continues to not do the right thing. Verse 22 begins now the story of them on their journey, on their way to go and meet Balak. This is the part of the story that more people are familiar with when they hear the name of Balaam. They know that, hey, isn't that the guy with the talking donkey? Yeah, same guy with the talking donkey. Here we have the story of Balaam and his talking donkey. It happened on this journey, on the way to go meet with Balak. Verse 22 says this, Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood... Um, angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on his, this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Balaam said to the donkey, Because you, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. The Lord opened Balaam's eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. He bowed his head. He fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Very interesting story here as they as uh, in this journey. There's a lot of things that we can learn from this. I think. First of all, it's fascinating when you see here the the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey. And 
it starts talking to Balaam, and then suddenly Balaam just starts talking to the donkey back as if this is a very normal occurrence. Obviously, for us here sitting in modern times, we read this, and it's, it seems kind of comical, the sort of interaction. This is made for a, for a sitcom more so than a, than a drama here. But one of the things that I actually find fascinating is this. Balaam was a diviner. He was a guy who, who, who did all kinds of these things. He was well known with these certain miracles and things like that. I actually submit to you that the idea of having a conversation with another animal, this might have been right up Balaam's wheelhouse. This is actually something he might have had an experience with to where this is not something that is some sort of huge shock to him that he might be having a conversation with his donkey. Um, so that's one, that's one way to think about it. So in that case, you know, we might look at this and, and, and we might have a chuckle or do something comical. But the thing is, if there's something spiritual for us to learn here, we shouldn't look at this story in some sort of comical way and then be kind of laughing at it as much as there's a lesson to be learned here that Balaam needs to learn and maybe some of us who are believers in God, we are so stubborn sometimes we have a lesson to learn as well. Fascinating thing about this passage, a couple of things. One, when God stood and put an angel in front of him on the journey, on this path, and it says that he was to stand as an adversary against him. This is one of the first times in all of scripture that the word Satan is given. The Hebrew word Satan, which means adversary, which we, of course, is the name of our adversary, Satan, the devil, whom is an enemy of the Lord. We have interesting examples of exactly who the devil is, what the what, what is the relationship between the devil and the Lord, and we have the story of Job where we have you know the Lord speaking to the devil, and then that the Lord actually allows the judgment of Hasatan, our adversary, to put a judgment upon Job, and that the Lord uses the adversary to do something or or allow certain things to happen. Now, how we, this entire relationship works, we don't know. It's fascinating here that the Lord, however, is, is being brought up here as an adversary, Satan, against Balaam. This is, this is sort of this nature of this conflict that God will sometimes be against you, that he will be an adversary. This is the sort of thing where it's like, okay, God is with us. There's one thing for us to have a relationship with the Lord, yet we run off and we go do something we're not supposed to do, and God doesn't do anything. He doesn't lead us that way. He doesn't guide us that way. But he gives us the opportunity to go and try something for ourselves. It's a whole other can of worms when the Lord actually stands as an adversary against us. This is how God tests his people. This is how God, this is when you know this is a work of the Lord. And he, there is a hard lesson to be learned for Balaam here. Now, he stands here and presents himself as an angel of the Lord. And it says there twice that he stood there with his sword drawn in his hand. That's something that should we should take note. In modern times, when you have a, if anybody owns a firearm, you have a concealed carry permit, or you have a police officer that's got a firearm, sidearm on their hip. We are trained in our, in our gun courses, and police officers are trained Look, you don't draw your weapon unless you intend to use it. 
This is not something that you use as an intimidation factor. You don't put, you know, you know, police officers when they, there's a couple of different escalations here where the hand goes to the hip, the, the, the gun is unsnapped but remains in the hip, the gun is drawn and pointed to the ground, or the gun is drawn and pointed at somebody else. There's a couple of escalations here to where when, when we're, we're looking at the different level of, uh, of engagement that we have going on here. This angel of the Lord has the sword drawn in his hand. Same thing as firearms today. You didn't draw your sword unless you intended to use it. This is not something that you did, that you wheeled around, that you played around with. No, it, it stayed sheathed in your, in your belt until you were really considering using it. And that's what the Lord was about to do. In fact, he said right there, I was going to kill you if your donkey hadn't swayed off of the path if you kept going down that path that i was going to strike you dead god has the power to do that three times three times the donkey gave balaam an opportunity to turn aside from what he was doing three times Three chances to, to understand, you know, maybe I shouldn't have done this. I, I was, uh, the, the part that is slightly comical to me is this, is the princes, these honorable men that Balak sent, they're traveling with this man, and they're watching this guy and his interaction with his donkey, and they're probably looking and saying to each other, we're like, why are we hiring this guy? I mean, this guy can't even control his donkey, much less, how is this guy going to be the guy that's going to curse the children of Israel, and that we're going to then be able to conquer them? <laughs> he's wandering into the field and he's whipping his donkey and get him back on the path and the donkey just went to the side and crushed his foot against a, a against a, a vineyard wall and then he's like whipped him again and then suddenly the in the middle of the road on a narrow path the donkey just stopped and dropped right there who the heck is this guy he's gonna he's gonna curse israel the lord is giving him an opportunity sometimes the lord will make you look foolish in your own foolish actions and maybe the, the, the embarrassment might cause you to second guess what you're deciding to do. He's giving Balaam an opportunity to change what he's doing. Balaam, he then sees this and, and all these things. But the Lord actually allows Balaam to continue on this path. Balaam actually asks, he's like, should, should I turn the other way? Should I turn? Because and the Lord's like, you know what? No. Because the Lord has even a greater plan and purpose through all of these things. The Lord knows what he's doing through the circumstance as much as even people who have their own money motivation, who have their own uh, ideas in mind. The Lord will sometimes use those people for a great purpose, for, for the admonition, for, for, the, for the benefit of another. That's, of course, what we have as we get to witness this story. On how Balaam and he's, he's on his way and he's, he's doing these things and the, the Lord will, will show these things to you in the course of your life. If you're on your own, in, in your own motivation, sometimes the Lord will let you do what you want to do. He will. But along the way, things won't go right for you. Sometimes there might just be a little deviation, a little hiccup in the thing. The donkey just goes a little off the path. Sometimes, the next time, you might actually be harmed by the mistakes and, and, and the things that you're doing. If you're deciding to go down a certain way and you're going down a certain path and, and, and you decide to, to do something you're not supposed to do at a certain time, you might get hurt. It might be simple as you twisted your ankle in a place where you weren't supposed to be. Or it might be something that causes even greater harm to you in the course. And just like Balaam's foot was, was, was crushed, he was walking with a limp the whole rest of this story too. He got to be embarrassed, and he's like, he's walking with a limp as he comes and he meets Balak, and everybody might have been, hey, uh, hey, Balaam, why are you limping? 
yeah, he probably had a great time telling that story. Yeah, my donkey was going there and it went to the side of a wall and crushed my foot. Okay, whoops. You know, harm came to him just because he's on his path. And then sometimes all the weight of everything that you're trying to do sometimes will just collapse from under you. Your legs will just get cut right out from under you. And that's what was symbolized by the donkey on the third time, just dropping in the path. Couldn't go any further. Couldn't do anything. Couldn't, what, what, this wasn't this deviation. Nope, just collapsed right underneath Balaam. That's something else that we learn when we do or we're doing our own thing. Sometimes even our own strength, our own foundation, the bottom just drops out from under us. These are three opportunities for us to learn our mistake. But the Lord has a greater plan and purpose. Verse 36 of chapter 22, Balak shows up with Balaam. This interaction is actually a little comical too. This, the, these guys aren't the best of friends here. Balaam already rejected him once, and, and, and they didn't really know each other that well. So they get together here, and this is kind of funny. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him in the city of Moab, which is on the border of Arnon, the boundary of, of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Balaam said to Balak, look, I've come to you now. Now, have I any power to, at all to say anything? The word of the Lord puts in my mouth that I must speak. So Balaam went to Balak and they came to uh, Kiriath Huzoth. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep and sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. Funny little interaction here. It's all like, where were you? I sent for you. It's like, well, I'm here now. So there's this, this, this sort of this interaction where it's already sort of tense right here. And Balaam, he's now then saying, after all of these things and this journey along the road, he's saying to Balak, he's giving this word. He's like, look, I had an angel that almost killed me on the way here. I'm being honest with you. I'm telling you, I can't do what the Lord, I can't curse these people if the Lord doesn't want, will it to happen. Balak doesn't pay attention to that. We're going to entreat Balaam, we're going to sacrifice all these things. He's going to take them to several different different places. And these certain places, they are all high places and temples to pagan gods that Balak is trying to entreat to make all of these things happen. Balaam, he, he receives these things. But again, after coming to these places, Balaam is now going to give a words of blessing upon the children of Israel. When Balak says, all right, there's the people, there's the children of Israel, they're out there in that valley over the hills, we're going to take you to this high place, and now you're going to pronounce your curse. Verse 41, so it was the next day, Balak took Balaam and brought him to the high places of Baal, and there he might observe the extent of the people. Chapter 23, verse 1, then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here and prepare for me here seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to me, and whatever he shows, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height, and God met Balaam here, and he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars, and I have offered on each altar a bull and a ram. Then the Lord put the word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak. And thus you shall speak. So he returned to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle and said, and what will immediately follow, that I'll get to here in just a sec, is this blessing that is in the hearing of Balak and that is upon the children of Israel. I do find it interesting here that, that Balaam said, build seven altars for me here and prepare them, seven bulls and seven rams. These altars, it does not say... That these are altars to Baal. 
course, it doesn't necessarily say that these are altars to the Most High God either. It's just they build these brand, some brand new altars and they offer some, some burnt offerings. Is Balaam actually causing Balak and these princes to actually give honor to the Lord? Because they're building some new altars and we're doing this and all of this is now. Balaam is now here on the work and the mission doing what the Most High God, the God of Israel, is instructing him to do. The fact that there's seven that are listed here, we always know in the scripture seven represents the perfect plan of God. So we know God's presence is here. There's a plan in purpose here. Now, some might say, well, of course, these were pagan altars and they did all these things to try and do this. But again, this was the instruction of Balaam to actually fool, I believe, my personal opinion, to actually fool Balak and his princes to actually give honor and entreatment to the Lord. So here's the oracle. He takes up his oracle and he pours out these words and he went to before the Lord. He separated himself. He came back and then this is the word that is coming out. He says this, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come, curse Jacob for me and come, denounce Israel. Verse 8, how shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him there, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like his. This is a blessing upon the children of Israel. This is talking about how they have been set apart and called by God, separate from any other nation. God has not cursed them. God has not denounced them. So how in the world can I speak and then denounce them? Balak didn't like this when he heard it. Verse 11, then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, must I not take, take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Look, Balaam already, he said, he says, look, I cannot say Anything that the Lord has not blessed or called me to say. Now, this blessing is, 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 is bountiful. It's, it's a wonderful blessing that God is with them. And they're not like any other nation. So Balak, he's not done with them yet. He pays, he's looking to pay his money. He's looking to get his, uh, his return on his investment here. Balak said to him, please come with me to another place by which you may see them. And you shall see only the outer part of them and shall not see all of them. Curse them for me from there. So he brought them to the field of Zophim and the top of Pisgah and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offering while I meet with the Lord over there. And the Lord met with Balaam and put the word in his mouth and said, go back to Balak. Thus you shall speak. So he came to him and there he was standing by his burnt offering. The princes of Moab were with him witnesses to all of these things that is going on. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? He took up his oracle and said a second time, he says this, rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He is blessed and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt, and he has strength like a wild ox. 
For there is no sorcery against Jacob, and nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of the of Israel, of what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness, and lift, it lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey, and drinks the blood of the slain. <laughs> Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, Did I not tell you, saying, All the Lord speaks that I must do? <laughs> Balak's response, of course, is like, there, Here comes two amazing blessings. And he's like, Just shut your mouth and don't say anything. Don't, you're now making it worse for me to be able to go against them because you're now blessing them as well. I do find it interesting here in the course of this blessing. These blessings are beautiful, even though the who they're coming from is kind of in question. The circumstances by which these words are being spoken over the children of Israel is maybe not the best circumstances you would hope would be. However, there's a great miracle that's taking place here. Even the enemies of God are putting out a blessing upon the children of Israel. That's a wonderful thing. Here's the other thing, too, that it always reminds me of as well. The word and the message that comes from a person. This is something I, I, I this is a, a thing that I like to say. It's a quote that, that, that I like to share or pass along any chance that I get. And this is what I believe. I believe the message is anointed, but the vessel is not. The message of the Lord is good, is righteous. It comes from the Lord. But sometimes the Lord can use a broken and unclean vessel to deliver the message. Even a cracked vessel can hold a little water. Even an unclean vessel can, can, can hold water. And that it's like, but, 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 the, but the water that when it goes in, and perhaps even when it comes out, the water is pure, but the vessel is what is unclean. It doesn't matter where these blessings are coming from. If the message is good, if the message is righteous, then it's wonderful. This is actually something that I recommend to anybody who, you know, what do you do when you have maybe a famous book that has been written by somebody? And this book has led people to the Lord. Think of maybe, you know, the most inspirational uh, Christian book that maybe you've read in the course of your life. And this book helped to lead you to the Lord. But then the author who wrote it, you found out something terrible about that author. Maybe they fell away from the faith. Maybe they left the faith. Maybe they, they denounced the Lord. Does that change the fact that that book changed your life and actually still has the ability to change other people's lives if they actually read those words? No, it actually doesn't. So the message that that person shared, even though the vessel was unclean or became unclean, became unfit to give any more word, doesn't mean that the message wasn't blessed and has a life of its own. The Lord is using that message greatly and mightily and wonderful wonderfully that's something that i encourage everybody to do it's like even if you got a book that's written by some famous author but then uh, that author has fallen away from the faith that author has done things that that you don't uh, that, that you don't like that you don't agree with that doesn't mean that the message and the word that came from them isn't good and isn't for your benefit. The first one of the ones popped into my head right here at this moment is I think about The Purpose Driven Life written by Rick Warren. This is a book that has turned a lot of lives around and has been a huge blessing to a lot of people. Well, now Rick Warren is actually now in, on the front runner of, of forming the religion of Chrislam where you combine Christianity and Islam. And I don't agree with that. And I don't think that what he's doing now is so great. However, I still got a copy of that book sitting on my bookshelf, and that doesn't mean that I it won't, wouldn't see that book or wouldn't actually count that book as possibly being something that could bless somebody. Case in point, 
The message is anointed. The person who gives it is not. Very fascinating thing. Back to the second blessing that uh, that Balaam gives uh, over the children of Israel. He said this, I have not observed, he, God, has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. I'm kind of confused by that because we've been reading in our Torah cycle a lot of times in which the children of Israel have acted wickedly and not obeyed the Lord and in 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 the keeping of the commandments and they've performed iniquity on many times and people have lost their lives because of the actions that have taken place within Israel. So why in the world how can this be true that even from Balaam now maybe this is Balaam uh, emphasizing something he doesn't know or there is something to be learned when it says even God has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. See, we can observe and we can see, yes, they've disobeyed the Lord. There has been wickedness present in there in the camp. And people have died because of it. Is this speak to the nature of that Jacob and Israel really have been better than we expect them to be? Or does it give us more information about God and how forgiving he truly is? See, because we have passages in the Old Testament here, going into uh, Isaiah and things, where he says that that their sins and their iniquities and all of those things, that he will remember them no longer. That he will live and act as if they hadn't sinned. See, that's how God sees us. When he gives us forgiveness, he acts as if he doesn't even remember the sin that we've committed. That's how he sees us and that's how he treats us. Now, we look at it and we say, no, there is iniquity and there is wickedness in Israel. That's not how God sees his chosen people. This goes back to also, I love always pointing out um, in the prophet Hosea. When he is, you know, when talking about the, the kingdom of God and, and how the children of Israel have left and gone whoring after other gods, being scattered into the nations and, 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 and following other gods, he loves his bride so much, so much, that even though his bride has committed adultery, this is all in Hosea, uh, the very short chapter 3 of Hosea, where it says that he will go and he will love that woman, even though she's committed adultery, he will not divorce her and he will still bring her back. What an amazing blessing that is. Now, I, I wouldn't recommend that we necessarily quote that verse back to the Lord all the time. Every time we go following after other gods, every time we disobey, it's like, Lord, you said that you weren't going to divorce us, even if we go in that whoring after other, uh, uh, other gods and committed a spiritual adultery and idolatry with other gods. That's not one of the ones I recommend that you quote back to God expecting him to forgive you. But if we're being objective about the entire situation, this is the nature of the God that we serve. And this is the nature and the character of God who we are in covenant with. That he loves us that much. That even though we've sinned, committed iniquity, he remembers it no longer as if it never happened. And even when we've committed spiritual adultery, he still will go and send messengers to bring her back so that he might be in covenant with her. This is all about the nature of God. Not that we've done anything to earn it for ourselves or Israel has done anything right in the process. But the blessing that comes here can show us that. Also, I love right here where it talks about the analogies here. Strength like a wild ox. And then he also likens Israel and liken a lion. Look, this is the two-house teaching right here. The wild ox is the representation of the tribe of Ephraim. It was the symbol of the tribe of Ephraim. The lion is the symbol of the tribe of Judah. When we're talking about the blessing all of Israel and we're describing it like an ox and we're describing it like a lion, we're describing it all the entire whole house of Israel. 
not just one part of Israel, not just a remnant of Israel, not just one kingdom that obeyed the Lord a little better than the other one. So we're only talking about the blessings upon the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom is, is cursed. No, we're talking about the whole house of Israel here when we're talking about these blessings that are being poured out upon the children of Israel here. There's a third prophecy that Balaam says. Another blessing. Hey, look, at this point in time, let's keep the blessings coming. I can read these things all day, man. These are wonderful. When you hear these blessings that are upon the nation of Israel, if we identify with Israel, keep them coming. I don't care who's saying it at this point. Keep blessing the, keep blessing the people. Bless the Lord. Let me uh, preamble here. Verse 27 of chapter 23. Balak said to Balaam, please come and take. I'll take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you curse them for me there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor that overlooks the wasteland. Then Balaam said to Balak, put for me here seven altars and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. Again, are these sacrifices that are entreating the gods of this place? Because the gods of this place, they would have already had altars set up. They already have temples set up. Balaam's going here and says, set up seven new ones over here. Let me show you. You might have one altar over here to the god of Peor. Let's set up seven right here for the god that's working right now in this place and time. So they did this. So they set it all up. Balak did as Balaam said, offered his bull and rant a ram on every altar. Balaam said, if it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. He didn't leave to go. He did this now all completely in front of Balak. Now, Balaam raised his eyes. He saw Israel encamped, uh, encamped according to their tribes. And the spirit of God came upon him and he took up his oracle and said, the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. Verse 5, chapter 24. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloe plants, by, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. He shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt in his strength like a wild ox. And he shall consume nations, his enemies, and he shall break their bones and pierce them with arrows. He bows down and he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you, and curses is he who curses you. <coughs> Excuse me. This blessing actually should sound a little bit familiar to you. This is the Matovu, Matovu blessing. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel. This is a song that is done in many messianic circles amongst Judaism. And it's actually a standard blessing that is amongst the Torah service. Whenever we are uh, do, giving honor and rendering honor to the Torah scroll and doing a Torah service, very often, traditionally, this blessing is done. Matovu is said in the course of that service. A blessing that originated from Balaam of all places. That this is a, this is one of these enduring, everlasting blessings upon the children of Israel and upon all of Israel. Once again, like I pointed out before, likened unto a wild ox, likened unto a lion as well. A blessing for all of Israel. I actually also start to see some prophetic patterns here. You see, the first blessing simply talked about how the children of Israel have been set apart from all other nations. That they've just been consecrated and sanctified and set apart, different than everybody else. This is something early on. This is something you have to establish 
very early. These last two, the second and the third, now are speaking to the strength of all Israel going through other times in other interactions throughout history. When we're talking about that, that he has observed no wickedness in, in Jacob and, and in Israel back in the second one, we're talking about a period of time in which the children of Israel are, are, are worshiping the Lord and, and, and living their life in a certain way, but we know that there's different ups and downs and peaks and valleys between the children of Israel and, and the interactions with God throughout history. You also might have noticed also is that that was directed toward Balak, the second prophecy said, rise up Balak and hear. So this is the direction of that to the enemies of Israel. And then the third one is, this is the utterance of Balaam. This is actually what the, what the prophets say. What we actually have here is we actually have two witnesses of the truth of the blessing that is upon Israel. We have witnesses that are here observing all these things. These princes are here. Sacrifices have been made. Balak can hear it. Balaam is saying it. Multiple witnesses. If one man says, stands up and says, this company is blessed, is that really truth? Is truth established by that? I can say what I think, but then if I don't find somebody else that agrees with me, I have no truth. Truth is established by two or three witnesses. Here we have in the example here, it's being spoken to Balak. Balak, did you hear what the blessing was? Yes, I heard what the blessing was. I wish you hadn't blessed it. I wish you hadn't said it. Okay, well, now that you've heard that, this is also what I say here. This is now Balaam's eyes being opened. He's speaking of himself about his eyes now have been opened to these blessings and, and what they are. And this is talking about now the prosperity of the children of Israel. When they, when they grew into a greater and mightier company, this is obviously how they grew even larger than when they're just here in the wilderness. How we're doing it. They were once just here in the wilderness, but now they have grown to a great and mightier company. You could say the, the second blessing was more for the children of Israel going through the wilderness and being this great company coming out of Egypt. But the third one could speak to the entire kingdom that has come later. Now, very fascinating thing, of course, that these prophecies are coming and they're being put upon the children of Israel. Balak, he's not very happy now at this point. Verse 10 of chapter 24, Balak is very angry and his anger is now aroused against Balaam. And he struck his hands together and Balak said to Balaam, I have, I called you to curse my enemies and look, you have bountifully blessed them these three times. Now therefore flee to your place and I said, and I said, I would greatly honor you, but in fact the Lord has kept you back from honor. This is Balak thinking, of course. That he was the one who bestows honor upon Balaam? No, it's God that gives him honor. And he says, no, you, you have no honor. It's like, well, God is actually giving honor to Balaam here uh, because he's doing what the Lord has said. Balaam said to Balak, did I not speak to your messengers whom you sent to me, saying, if Balak were to give me a house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord to do good or bad of my own will. What the Lord said, that I must speak. And now indeed I'm going to my people. Come, I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the latter days. All right. And Balaam now gives a fourth prophecy. And what he just now says, and he says, look, this is, this is something that's going to happen to your people in the latter days. And what will follow here now is a description of a group of various groups of people that were there in Moab, in the kingdom, these interactions, whatever. And then these are people who will be no more at the end of the age. Let me go ahead and finish out our Torah portion here and keep reading the fourth blessing, the utterance of Balaam. 
the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of man whose eyes are open, the utterance of him who hears the word of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also, his enemies, shall be a possession. While Israel does valiantly, out of Jacob one shall have dominion and destroy the remains of the city. And he looked on Amalek and took up his oracle and said, Amalek was first among the nations, but shall be last until he perishes. Then he looked on the Kenites, and he took up his oracle and said, Firm is your dwelling place, and your nest is set in the rock. Nevertheless, Cain shall be burned. How long until Ashur carries your away captive? And he took up his oracle and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? But ships shall come from the coast of Cyprus, and shall afflict Ashur, and afflict Eber, and shall and so shall Amalek, until he perishes. So Balaam arose and departed, and returned to his place. Balak also went on his way. This is now a prophecy to the end of the age. This is now something that we can look and we can analyze. What is going to be the, his, the future of Israel going in later now you might look and see okay these kingdoms yeah these all kingdoms were all taken away and they and and they they dispersed and so you might look in one case and say these prophecies were fulfilled these kingdoms are no more in the height and the strength of israel they went and they conquered all of these kingdoms edom is no more the amalekites all of them they're gone and it says, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. That means there's a great king and, and great strength, and, and Israel will wipe out. And in the latter days of the kingdom of Moab, this is what they will experience. I also think that it's a prophecy for the future end of the age, when all the enemies of Israel will be wiped out no more. Amalek is not as much a group of people anymore, as much as it's an attitude and a mindset against Israel. Those that are a part of Amalek, look, we, we, we teach all the time out of this ministry, physical descendancy doesn't matter. Physical descendancy doesn't matter if you're adopted into the family of God, into Israel, and that you are a part and you're equal heirs to the shares of the kingdom. And that this is a wonderful thing, doesn't matter where you came from. Same goes for the enemies of Israel, Amalek. Other people can be adopted into Amalek. They can adopt the ideas and the mindset of who Amalek was. Even if there's not a physical descendant of Amalek still alive to this day, there are those who could be adopted into the ideas and the mindset and the dogma, and they are the enemies of Israel. Anti-Semites, those that hate without a cause, those are the, that, are, that are considered, without question, the enemies of the people of God. Amalek, I believe that the spirit of Amalek is still with us even to this day. The spirit of all of these kingdoms. The, the way that, that it, was, it was pride, Edom, we learned from the prophet Obadiah, the great sin of Edom was pride. There's plenty of pride here in the world today. I would guarantee you the spirit of Edom and those that, would, that, that have been adopted in into the spiritual heritage of Edom and the Edomites are the ones who live with pride and think they know better than God. That spirit is still alive today. That's why I believe when it says this is a prophecy of the latter days, this is what we will see. We're looking forward to the great and mighty 
end of the age when all of the enemies of God have been defeated. And when it says a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Man, I put uh, I picture in my mind of my faith. In Yeshua of Nazareth, who is my king, who is my redeemer, that he is the one who has come out of Jacob and out of Israel, out of heritage as well, and that he is the one who will be the one that conquers all of the enemies of God when he returns in the latter days. I can see a future prophecy here that is being prophesied to us from this man named Balaam. It says Balaam went on his way. Right here, he went on his way. And that you'd think, if you're just reading the story at the end of this, this narrative, Balaam, he, he just did what the Lord said, and he, he went back home. So is he going to then go and live the rest of his life as one who is just a vessel of God, and he's going to do everything that's right and good and righteous because he's said what, what God has said? No, because this isn't the last time that Balaam is mentioned in our scripture. It says later in the book of Numbers, in Numbers 31, verse 16, it says that it was the counsel of Balaam to Balak and to the kingdoms of Midian on how to cause harm to the children of Israel. Balaam could not pronounce a curse. He couldn't speak a curse over there, but the dude probably still wanted to get find a way to get paid. So what he did is he gave his counsel to the Midianites. And what he told the Midianites to do is this. Send your daughters to go play the harlot with the children of Israel. I cannot curse Israel. No one else can divine anything and curse Israel. But you know what you can do is you can make Israel curse themselves. And that is the nature of the story of next week's Torah portion in the story of Phineas. Where we're going to have a plague and we're going to have the daughters of Midian going in and intermarrying, intermingling with the children of Israel. And that there's going to be 24,000 that are going to die of the children of Israel all on account of this thing. That's more than even happened in the rebellion of Korah. So here we have this time in which, through the counsel of Balaam, these things still came against Israel. You, you remember when I said how many opportunities Balaam, I mean, did you count how many opportunities Balaam had to do the right thing according to the Most High God? And he failed to do it every single time, even though God used him, used his words, what was meant for a curse, ended up being a blessing. And still used him. He still had every opportunity to truly change his motivations, but he still never did. Balaam will later fall by the sword of the children of Israel when they go and enact vengeance upon the Midianites. And even later on in our scripture, all the way into Revelation chapter 2, there's a talking about the, those that follow the counsel of Balaam, which would be the ones that defile themselves by the ways of the world. This is the Council of Balaam, and this is the history of Balaam. Once again, kind of makes me sad where it's all like, man, they, they, these two guys didn't have to die. Balak could have just asked for peace, and he didn't have to die. And Balaam could have just done what the Lord had for him to do, and he didn't have to die. But, you know, sometimes the Lord uses the testimony of sinners for the benefit of others. And that's exactly what we have here. On one hand, we should replicate the good of what Balaam was. He heard the word of the Lord. He said, pray, he, he appeased the word of the, the, the God to, to speak, use him to speak and make me a vessel to, to speak the word of the Lord. I'm not going to do anything more or anything less. So what I should do. That's good. But don't mix in your own motivations along with it. Otherwise, it will be very bad for you. The amazing thing about this entire passage, again, this is a story, it's kind of like a little sidebar of, apart from the children of Israel. This is all talking about the enemies of God, and this is what they do, and this is how they act. 
This is what they observed in the children of Israel. God has a way and can miraculously take something that was meant for evil and turn it around for good. That is what God, that's what God can do. And he can use something that's terrible and make a huge blessing come out of it. I have a personal testimony in my life. My, my house was wiped out by a tornado back in 2013. But when it's all said and done, my family was safe. And I was able to be, be very blessed getting a new house and everything. And now I came out just fine. And I think I do nothing but praise the Lord for all of that that happened. Now it was a trying time. But the Lord turned what, what could have been terrible and meant for evil and, and turned it around for good. This is the exact same that Joseph said to his brothers at the end of Genesis 50 at verse 20, where it said, look, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about at this day and many people may be saved alive. This is uh, Joseph knew this back with his brothers. And this was, and that's an amazing verse. You should highlight that one, mark that one down and just to know and remember even things meant for evil can be turned around for good and to be a blessing to others. And you know what? The ultimate example of that, the ultimate example that, that to me like is a, is a phrase, sometimes you, you find it as a lyric in a song, is this, is that you have the crucifixion of the Messiah that is a symbol of death, the most brutal death you could possibly have, is the sign and the symbol that has been turned around to represent eternal life for all who look upon and see and follow. What an amazing thing that is that, 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 that the most gruesome way that someone can die a, 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 a cross and a stake meant for the execution and for the death of life has been transformed into the symbol of eternal life and is now our victory over death in the Lord that's the greatest example of that is that something meant for evil can be turned around for good just so happens to be the greatest good that the world has ever known when it comes to that example that's what we can learn from this portion. Very fascinating. We should, we, we should study these things. Know what the personalities. What was Balak's motivation? What was Balaam's motivation? And that we should look inside our hearts and our souls and to make sure that there is not the same spirit that led them to do what they did present in us. Let us speak the word of the Lord just as he has given it to us. And may we be led and God, guided by his Holy Spirit in all things that we do when we say, not to do more, not to do less, not to add our own motivation to it, so that we might not be cursed. Let it always be blessing that comes out of our mouth. When the Lord says about a group of people, he says, I'll bless those that bless you, I will curse those that curse you. Good word of warning, don't, don't curse them. Just a good plan, a plan of action. Just, just do that one thing and you'll probably be all right. So let us be blessed. Let the words that befall our lips in all things be words of life and words of blessing and not words of curses because you never know who you might be speaking those curses over and that could end up very bad for you so with that being said let us uh, close out this tour portion and we'll obviously have more to get into for next week's portion and more lessons to learn from the mistakes of those that have come before us let us go before the lord heavenly father we come before you on this Sabbath day. We thank you for your teaching and instruction. We thank you for this Torah portion, Lord, for the story of Balak, the story of Balaam, Lord. And Father, I pray that we would be blessed by these words and these instructions. May we learn from them, Lord, for you have used even the testimony of sinners, Lord, for the benefit of your saints and your believers. So, Father, I pray that we take that to heart, that we, that we bring that into our lives deep down inside. Take it down into our soul, Lord, that we that these might be words that we live by and instructions 
that keep us alive and sustain us, Lord. Father, we thank you for your covenant with your people, choosing us from among all nations, Lord, for they are a blessed people, Father, and may the words of our mouth always be blessing upon your people and upon your saints, Lord. No matter where they live, no matter who they are, for, Father, we don't know where your people are sometimes in the world, many denominations, many religions, and, Father, May we always be mindful to know who are your people. Father, may we always be cautious to speak words of blessing, for you are the ultimate judge in all things. So we love you, bless you, and thank you on this Sabbath day. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Amen. Now the blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher natan lanu Torah temet v'chay alam natah b'tocheinu Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-Torah Amen. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the sun has set on a Friday night bringing peace into your home. Families will gather all around singing Shabbat Shalom, everybody sing. Shalom. 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 God has put a smile upon your face. 